0: Hello, my name is Dave Lewis, and I'm the host of CineMillennials, Millennials, a podcast where myself and another millennial watch a classic film that we haven't seen before, ranging from the early 1900s to the late 1960s, and discuss its significance and relevance in our world today. On today's episode of CineMillennials, Millennials, I talked with my cousin Devin about the 1968 science fiction classic, Planet of the Apes directed by Franklin J. Schaffner, and starring Charlton Heston, Roddy McDowell, and Kim Hunter. Planet of the Apes follows the story of a crew of astronauts that crash land on a planet 300 million light years into the future, where their perception of both man and ape are reversed. The Simians are intelligent and are the conquerors of the world, where man is primitive and enslaved. Confronted with this discovery about being hunted by the apes, one of the astronauts, Taylor, becomes enslaved and has caught the eye of both an animal psychologist, Dr. Zira, and her archaeologist, fiance, Cornelius, who claims that apes evolved for man. Upon the discovery of this hypothesized missing link, the chief scientist and defender of the ape faith, Dr. Zaius, does all that he can to exterminate Taylor in order to protect the dark knowledge only he knows. From featuring themes like racial supremacy to the balance of faith and science, Planet of the Apes is truly not only a hard science fiction classic, but it is still extremely relevant for our world today. So sit back, relax, and if anyone tries to disturb you physically when you're watching the movie, tell them to…
1: Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape!
0: Hey, Devin, welcome to the show. What was the first film you saw in theaters? And what are your favorite films that have come out in the last 20 years or so?
2: It would have to be some sort of Disney film for sure. Oh, man, I, I really have no idea. <laughs> I really can't tell, you know, it's just so long ago. The answer that I was going to go with was I broke my arm in first grade. And I remember my aunt picked me up from school to take me to the hospital They put the cast on time to go home. And then my aunt is like, you know what? I'm going to get this kid a treat. You know, we're going to go to CBS. And this is when CBS, you know, they still had their uh, movies that they sold. Mm -hmm. And I picked Disney's Dinosaurs. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) which (laughs) yeah, I have no idea uh, why. But I guess uh, young Devin really enjoyed Disney's Dinosaurs. So (laughs) I'm going with Disney's Dinosaurs. Interesting.
0: That is probably the most interesting answer I, I've ever heard because no one remembers Disney's dinosaurs.
2: <laughs> and I don't either. We're not. Right. I again I don't know what young Devin was thinking, but young Devin was thinking about Disney's dinosaurs.
0: Were you maybe thinking like, oh, could be like Land Before Time or something like
2: that? I did love Land Before Time. Everyone, I'm sure, loved Land Before Time. Everyone wanted to try a tree star until they realized it's <laughs> just a dirty leaf that you can eat anywhere. But no, it's just, I guess I saw it in theaters and I was like, I want that movie. That's, like I said, the most interesting one we've talked about. You also have that
0: connection to Planet of the Apes in that way with animals talking. What are your favorite films that have come out in the last
2: 20 years or so? I don't know why it took me so long to see it, but I saw Get Out this year. Oh, yeah? And completely blown away. I thought Get Out was phenomenal. Another movie that really just Caught me by surprise, and I can't believe I'm saying it out loud, but Rocket Man. I really enjoyed Rocket Man, and I think it might be because I had such low expectations of it. Mm-hmm. But Rocket Man was phenomenal. Parasite has to be up there. Mm-hmm. And then just this weekend, I watched Trial of the Chicago 7, which was also a pretty great film.
0: Why did you pick Planet of the Apes?
2: Did you know anything about the film before you watched it for the show what did you think it was going to be about? I've never seen any of the Planet of the Apes, and I have a lot of friends that really enjoyed the new trilogy. So I've always wanted to see the new one, but I was like, you know what? The new ones are not on the list, mm-hmm. <laughs> but this one is. <laughs> so we're watching Planet of the Apes. Did you know anything about the film before you watched it? I did not. I believe most people have seen at least a shot of the ending. But having never seen the new trilogy, I thought that was actually an ending from the new trilogy. Oh, interesting. So I was I was caught by surprise at the end of this film, Uh, at least
0: some surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I know that's the hard thing is we know about these things before they happen. But maybe we don't have the context of how that ending comes out to be and how it is so shocking or it's such a twist. But we know these things, so that might lessen the effect of the movie and how it affects us in general.
2: And to be honest, I don't think it lessened anything whatsoever. Um, That's great. I love the film. I thought the film was fantastic. Really a lot of symbolism to kind of unfold here. But just as a movie... I thought it was a great movie.
0: What did you think it was going to be about?
2: I guess since the new ones are, I think, a war versus apes and humans, I still don't know what the new ones are about. But (laughs) I I believe the apes fight the humans. Mm. That's what I was expecting here. I was expecting humans to travel to a planet, and there's highly intelligent apes there, and they go to war. (laughs)
0: when you're hearing Planet of the Apes it's interesting where you know there is a human aspect of it because like you said everybody and their mom have all seen the ending of the original Planet of the Apes unfortunately or fortunately for who you are like I was talking to my mom and she saw Planet of the Apes in theaters and she said we were all so shocked about the end and how crazy it was this is like kind of a thing where it's those great moments in movie history where it's like,
2: what? Yep. It's
0: the big thing that everybody starts talking about the next day at school. Like, it's Vader being Vader was, before Vader
2: being Vader. Yep. I was going to say, it's everyone knows who Darth Vader is, whether or not you've seen a Star Wars film. Everyone knows that scene in Planet of the Apes, whether or not, I, not you've seen it.
0: Exactly. Everybody knows the lines from Charlton Heston.
1: He finally really did it. You You maniac! blow it up oh, damn you God damn you all to hell.
0: but no one knows why or the context how it happened or when it happened and that's the whole thing and speaking of his character how did you
2: respond to Taylor he was a bit of a creep to <laughs> uh, to start off the movie for sure just the way that he looked at the female pilot Stuart. And then his description of what her role in the new world was, was also quite creepy. And then he had a weird
1: laugh.
2: (laughs) I was just blindsided by that. And I was like, what is wrong with this guy? As the movie goes on, though, you can kind of see he is the American macho man. It's like, give him a gun. He's going to blow something up. I remember his character being a lot cooler
0: back when I first watched this. It was on one of those man channel or whatever that was on. Man channel. I
2: don't channel. know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't was... know any man channel. But I if there was... was a movie that goes on there, it should be this one. <laughs> yeah. Spike TV, I think it was. Oh, uh, Spike TV. All right. I guess Spike Lee right? does qualify as me.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I remember seeing it on that. and I think I saw the second one where it's like Beneath the Planet of the Apes. And then I saw this one again after I watched that one. They always used to have marathons. Charlton Heston's character is not sympathetic at all. And it's no. also actually interesting that you're kind of talking about the whole American ideal. It's funny that you say that because he is not in a way because the way that he is laughing at Landon who is the other white astronaut he laughs at landed for putting the american flag there and saying like oh that's stupid like this is ridiculous like why are you even doing that no one no one's gonna ever see us again so why are you doing that
1: what would that tell you i've told you where you are and when you are all right all right you're 300 light years from your precious planet your loved ones are dead and forgotten for 20 centuries 20 centuries Even if you could get back, they'd think you were something that fell out of a tree. Our Taylor quit riding him. There is just one reality left. We are here and it is now. You get hold of that and hang on to it, or you might as well be dead. I'm prepared to die. (laughs) He's prepared to die. (laughs) Doesn't that make you misty? Shock up another victory for the human spirit. Clue me in on something, will you? Why did you sign on for this trip? You volunteered. Why? Never mind, I'll clue you in. You were the golden boy of the class of 72. When they nominated you for the big one, you couldn't turn it down. Not without losing your all-American image. Climb off, will you? Oh, and the glory, don't forget that. There's a life-size bronze statue of you standing out there somewhere. Well, it's probably turned green by now. Nobody can read the nameplate. But never let it be said that we forget our heroes. Taylor, I'm telling you to climb off my back. Hmm. And there's one last item. Immortality. You wanted to live forever, didn't you? And well, you damn near made it. Except for me and Dodge. You've lived longer than anyone ever born.
2: In itself was a pretty bad plan because they only brought one Eve. <laughs> so not a well-thought-out plan on that. It was a pretty disgusting comment, because I'm pretty sure that she had to be some sort of scientist
0: right. to be put on there. Exactly. I mean, they're going like 700 years into the future, so like, how does that make sense for her not to have any of those skills as an astronaut? Or she's just like,
2: oh yeah, I'm just on here for the ride. It's, it's just, you really think that only three people, if if one person gets hurt, if one person dies, then you just have two people and then useless Stewart. she's exactly. uh, it's just that's tough to believe but that was a real like a whoa <laughs> you know when he said
0: that yeah she's like done immediately it's like yes. okay then what was the point of having her as a character in general it was just for that one line for him to say that as well as that you have this idea of him just reacting to everything that's happening to him and how things like not what the other humans, like how the other humans are being tortured and euthanized right in front of him. And especially his fellow astronauts and how he's just like. Oh,
1: they cut him. Did you know about this? No, I, I swear I never saw this man before. But then. You did it. You cut up his brain, you bloody baboon. Cut him!
0: And it's like you only cared about that when you saw him right in front of you. Like you weren't trying to like break out in order to find them. He is a jerk throughout the whole thing. And he only is thinking of himself when he meets Nova. And he's not thinking about her or anything like that. And I think Linda Harrison, she does a great job throughout the whole movie because you can see the different emotions on her face and how she reacts to Charlton Heston and what she
2: has to do with within her character. Yes, and I believe uh, she learns how to smile, too. That's one of the things that they notice in the film.
0: <laughs> it's so funny like how the apes react to different things that Charlton Heston and her character are doing.
2: Oh my god,
0: he, he can do this, he can do that, she can do this. And it's just so interesting to see that reversed.
1: That bright eyes is remarkable. He keeps trying to form words. You know what they say, human see, human do.
0: One of the big things on the Internet that I see is that people go to the zoo and show chimpanzees magic tricks and they have the most crazy reactions like they fall back and like flail their arms and like scream and laugh. And it's like so funny to see that reaction and just like to see the reversal of that is very
2: weird. Yeah, it it really was. There were a lot of moments in this movie where you just kind of like puts you in a different perspective of, oh, This is supposed to be the humans doing this, but it's not. And the scene that really brings that to mind would be the hunting scene, where it's, regardless of your stance on hunting, I would say it was pretty powerful to, one, witness the entire hunting scene, but really that last part of the Mm -hmm. hunting scene, where they're posing for photos, they're holding the humans as if they're some sort of trophy, just stacking human bodies, like it's nothing. Mm -hmm. And that's something that goes on every single day. It's just it's not humans that it's happening to in the real world. Within that scene, you're seeing them
0: driving the humans off a cliff to their deaths. And it's like, oh my God, this is what we do to animals. And it's like, oh my God, this is like genocide situation here. Like you're seeing that from the get go. And it's just like within the last 30 years that was something that actually happened you had the holocaust and you have that idea come to the fore on the screen where it's just like oh my god this is what we do to people and that's confronting are we better or not than these animals that are doing the same thing to humans in a reversed situation
2: yeah exactly it was really one of the more powerful scenes of the movie because. You just it's you just kinda have to see it. It I can't describe the feelings that it made me. It was just you're just wow. It is mind-blowing in a way because apes are doing the
0: things that we're exactly been doing for generations and generations. They're just doing the same things over and over again like we are. And it's so fascinating to see that within our millennial concepts and the ideas that our generation has and how things are happening within our generation, not happening to our generation, and how we respond and how even for the long haul how we are going to respond to the things that we keep repeating over and over and over again. Are we going to break this cycle or are we going to keep the same? What did you think about the Simeon characters throughout the film? Dr. Zaius, Cornelius, Dr. Zira. What did you think of these characters? Did you empathize with them? Did you understand where they were coming from? Did you rail against any of them?
2: Really, all three of the characters that you just said, Zaius, Zira, and Cornelius, You can find characters like them in the real world, in just people that you and I both know. Zira, she really mimicked what a uh, zoologist would be. She gave Taylor a nickname, Bright Eyes. She really fought for him against any wrongdoings. She really tried to get him what he would like. They were like, all right, here's Nova, which is a different topic. (laughs) the whole nickname, Bright Eyes, she gives him
0: that nickname. And in a way, she's humanizing him when she's not the human. That's what we do with our animals. We create these names for them. I know people have like, I know somebody with a dog named Bob. We create these names and these characteristics around these animals. We anthropomorphize them, whether it be in our daily lives or it be in our movies and TV or books, and we turn them into these kind of human Creature, not creatures at the same time. It's fascinating to see how, and we talked about this with Izzy from Be Kind Rewind in the Godzilla episode, and how she was saying that when we have something like science fiction, where we can put it all in these fantastical and quote unquote ridiculous ways, that often hits harder as a complete narrative story of what the wrongdoing is
2: happening or how it's happening in the real world. They made the characters very relatable, even though they were not humans. Another case that we saw was Cornelius. I thought that he was just like Landon, mm. where they were both very much so into their studies, but they were also, deep down, they were just good people. They wanted to help
0: others. Cornelius is such an interesting character now that you put it that way. He's so empathetic in a way. He's very rigid at the beginning because guys like Dr. Zaius and the orangutans are very rigid and there are hierarchies throughout the planet of the apes that they don't specifically say but we know from how different characters are treated and with cornelius at first he's very rigid he's very focused on his archaeological studies and he wants to make sure his things are proven and he wants to make sure that he's getting the right rights in order to or the funding in order to make sure he gets that opportunity to discover his Thesis. And with that, his whole thing with Dr. Zira being his fiance, he understands what she's doing and wants to understand what she's doing because he knows how empathetic she is and wants to say, All right, let me put my stuff away for her because this is really, really important for her. And if I
2: don't help her out, no one will. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did. He did more than anyone could have asked him for. Mm-hmm. He's the reason why a Taylor, spoiler alert, gets away in the end. And it's
0: also down to his curiosity. We all always talk about the curiosity kills the cat kind of thing. But with this, curiosity helps the ape figure out who he is and how he should go about his life and how he should focus on the things within the humanity that he is discovering In these ruins and these archaeological dig sites that he's excavating and now he has a complete human right in front of him so he wants to understand how they work how they develop what happened to them in their society and how they became mute and dumb and why apes. Became who they are, not just from texts like Dr. Zayas and the other orangutans have within their religion and their scientific texts. He wants to find the real hard truth of it. And that is so fascinating to see that on the other end.
2: Yeah, it really was. And to really talk about Dr. Zayas, I'm sure anyone can find a Dr. Zayas in the world. But the thing that really was interesting about Dr. Zaius, as well as the other orangutans in power, Mm -hmm. was that the only apes with power were the orangutan. And the symbolism that that screams, just, you know, some sort of race supremacy. And, I mean, it was clear as day. It's, you have these orange apes and everyone else is brown. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I thought that was, I don't know if that would be ahead of its time for a 1968 film.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Just definitely loud and clear.
0: I mean, at the time, 1968, you do have, obviously you have racism uh, abounding. You have the civil rights movement going on. You have all these things. And it's interesting to see Dr. Zaius, I think, is one of the most complicated characters in Planet of the Apes. And I think that's why a lot of people find him so fascinated and are attached to him. In a way, he is like the other orangutans where he has that idea of, like you said, race supremacy and how they have that hierarchy of orangutans, gorillas as soldiers, and then the chimpanzees. Where you have that idea of there is a clear hierarchy here and the orangutans have all the power and say hey what you just said was a heresy it's a scientific heresy
1: it is not being tried he's being disposed of it is scientific heresy that is being tried here well put dr zayas let us warn our friends that they endanger their own careers by defending this animal
0: Which is the things that kind of go into the idea of people in power have knowledge that no one else knows. And if somebody else obtains that knowledge, they stamp them out in order to keep that power. Because once the apes lose the idea that apes were stronger, wiser, better than humans, then everything gets unleashed on them. Because that idea of race supremacy ends for them in their hierarchy, so the chimpanzees can try to get power or the gorillas try to get power because, you know, they're the military kind of thing. They could have a military junta or something like
2: that. Yeah. And I mean, a direct example from the film was Dr. Zayas crumbling up the paper plane that Taylor mm-hmm. made. Really, it would have been just so easy for him to be like, this guy is actually pretty smart. He can help us out if we just work together. Right. But I think the fear of losing power to Taylor kept him from any desire to work together and to advance the ape society that they live in, which is just a very real reaction. Most people that are in power would do anything to keep that power, whether that means not working together with people to advance whatever they do.
0: Right. No, that's a great point, because it is that human element of power and the greed of power and how that affects you and how that affects those around you. And of course, you know, oh, everybody has power in their own lives and different relationships and they want to stick to that power over people. If you don't have that power, what do you have? Which is kind of crazy to think about, like that idea, again, putting a human feeling, a human emotion, a human ideology on apes. And thinking that, oh, wow, is this what we're really doing? Like, is this what we're doing to each other? Wow. And we're going to go into the themes a little bit later. So what did you think of those costumes and prosthetics? You have to keep in mind that this was the late 1960s where makeup on this
2: level was pretty much non-existent. They were fantastic. Uh, really, the thing that I loved the most about them was anytime that the apes tried kissing each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, really. The uh, I guess the the mouth and the nose made it impossible to give like actual kisses, and I guess they couldn't curl their lips because of the mask. But I do think that it gave it some character to the whole thing, where it's just oh, they still want to kiss, and this is what they do, <laughs> where they just kind of nibble at the air <laughs> uh, on each other. The costumes, though, for all the apes, I thought were actually really good. It kind of had some sort of regal look to it. Now, I have not seen any other ones, so I don't know, is this the only ape city? I assume it's really the only ape city. But perhaps as you watch the other Planet of the Apes films, maybe you get more into, like, well, the apes that live here wear this. The apes that live here wear this. Yeah,
0: like I, I like that you had that idea of the costumes look very regal. I always liked these costumes, these jumpsuit things where they have the different symbols on who they are and what they do. Um, And the costumes are just very practical for them. You know, hey. standing upright, pretty much all jumpsuits where they have these feet kind of it's like kind of footy pajama kind of thing. And I just always thought that looked really, really cool in that way. Wow. And it just looks very slimming and elegant. And it seems almost like if someone was going to develop what Simeon would wear or orangutan or gorillas, chimpanzees would wear, it would be the things that they wear in the Planet of the Apes. And I think it's so fascinating to see that as well as the prosthetics. Prosthetics up until that point were pretty much just gag kind of things. Nothing to take it seriously or anything like that. Or they were mostly horror films like you had Lon Chaney who is one of the first people to really use prosthetics because previous to that prosthetics were all about war injuries. There are so many different examples in the First World War where you have guys getting their faces blown off, whether it be from shrapnel or the different diseases, as well as the gas affecting their eyes and their noses and different things like that. That was pretty much exclusively for that, or people that had missing limbs and accidents. But with the prosthetics and filmmaking, it was really down to Lon Chaney who revolutionized so many of these different things, like contorting and twisting his face so much that he created a lot of different issues later on in life within his pain threshold with what he's doing to his body, he's stretching his skin in order to create these monsters, whether it be the Phantom of the Opera, Hunchback of Notre Dame, or what have you. But when you have this idea of creating a world where the apes are speaking like humans, they've evolved. You have guys like John Chambers and Tom Berman, who were the artists behind the Simeon masks and costumes, figuring out how to do that and how to create these life casts, as they say, how could they create these kind of things? And the one thing that I guess they had an issue with was like what you said is curling the lips and have that muzzle in order to put on that roundish feature around the mouth and the nose onto the actors. According to Berman, they cast actors with brown eyes to give them a similar look to to actual chimpanzees and gorillas, as well as they sought actors with flat noses to fit into the muzzle of the ape appliances. Mm -hmm. And he also recruited a bunch of different makeup artists around that time. And he saw like a couple guys were like, oh, I really like what he's doing with this little thing here. I like what he's doing with that thing there. And then they put them all together working in one thing. And Chambers hired new artists all the time. So he eventually created some of the first and the most revolutionary as well as some of the greatest prosthetic casts of all time. We wouldn't have a lot of these fantasy films like the stuff from Lord of the Rings. You wouldn't have a lot of the stuff from Star Wars. You wouldn't have a lot of the things that we have today that are great examples of using masks and using them for a cast in order to have a crazy out of this world figure without the planet of the apes.
2: Really, that's one of the first things that you notice when you see the apes. <laughs> you can just like. And I said it out loud, I was watching with my mother, my girlfriend, and my brother, and I was just like, oh my god, they look really, they look really good. They look (laughs) just like apes. It's honestly amazing because
0: they obviously studied apes looked like in general, and you could definitely tell they were trying to go for more of the look rather than the contortions of their faces and things like that too, because that was the limit of their technology at that point. They couldn't go out and do CGI stuff where you're looking at every single little indentation in an eyebrow or part of a smile or what they do with their tongue or so on and so forth. And what they have in films today and video games today, they don't have that kind of thing. So they're trying to get to the best of their ability of what's going to work because I know like with me watching it, it's funny how we judge things now and like if you look at a movie from back then at this time or even in the early 2000s late 90s you're like oh that's clearly fake that doesn't look that good with you can watch jaws or something
2: (laughs) well i mean that's
0: okay (laughs) that's the whole funny thing is that with jaws the animatronic puppet that they were trying to use stopped working for the majority of the time which is what lended itself to being brilliant because if you don't show the shark, it's a lot worse than what you could see on screen in your head. So exactly. that's what like all imagination. That's exactly. The suspense. Exactly. It builds that suspense because you don't know how terrifying the thing actually is besides looking at the things that it did to those people. And that's with the same with the ape thing. It, it, it's fascinating to see, and it's great to hear that you were like, oh, this looks amazing, because we do have that concept now of physical versus computer-generated effects. And a lot of people are going back to physical effects because it seems more real, and it feels more realistic. It's not as perfect, and it's not in that
2: uncanny valley that you have with CGI. There really is uh, a certain something about looking at something and being like, wow, this is real. That is a tangible ape. <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> you know. Now, we were going
0: around a couple different ideas and themes that jumped out to us in the film. What were those main themes that really hit you when watching Planet of the Apes?
2: We touched upon one of the biggest ones, which was racial supremacy, where we saw the orangutans were all in power and the other apes were all lower sort of civilian class Mm. apes i guess the biggest theme had to be that the world has to kind of get its act together Mm. and that is the last scene of the film i agree with you the whole
0: main overarching theme
2: of planet of
0: the apes is we have to learn from our past in order to have a better future and have this idea of preventing things like how the end reveals things like this from happening. Because if we keep repeating the cycle over and over and over again, we're never going to actually achieve anything as a human society.
1: Yeah.
2: And really, which was surprising, is Taylor kind of hints at the ending a lot during the beginning of the film where he's just like
1: the men who sent us on this journey are long since dead and gone you who are reading me now are a different breed I hope a better one I leave the 20th century with no regrets but one more thing if anybody's listening that is nothing scientific it's purely personal a scene from out here Everything seems different. Time bends. Space is boundless. It squashes a man's ego. I feel lonely. That's about it. Tell me, though. Does man, that marvel of the universe, that glorious paradox who sent me to the stars, still make war against his brother? Keep his neighbor's children starving?
2: I guess that would just be foreshadowing of the ending
0: of the film throughout the beginning he's like i really hope that we are a better society now than when i left and to see that and to see the society that comes out of that it's fascinating to see for him because why did that happen how did the apes become who they are and how did humans become who they were And it's so fascinating to see that, because you do have all of these issues. You have the ape inferiority hierarchy. Racism, as we talked about that, is unfortunately still a thing in our world today. And it's something that we need to combat against, racial supremacy, because it is now more relevant than ever. And you have that idea where you have those people in power, like we talked about before, trying to protect that power in order to stay within that power and to keep control over everyone else. And you have that idea constantly that is going around. White supremacy is a major threat to the prosperity of us all. It, it, it's absolutely ridiculous that we still have to talk about this today. And of that the fact that you have that ignorance and you have that idea of a lot of misinformation going around, which is another topic that I kind of want to get into. There's a couple trial scenes throughout the film where you have the three orangutans in power put Taylor on trial and say he's an abomination. This is something that should have never happened. It's fascinating because while Taylor's on trial, Dr. Zira and Cornelius are kind of on trial as well because Cornelius's idea is that apes evolved from humans.
1: Cornelius has developed the most brilliant hypothesis.
0: But I'm probably
1: wrong. That the ape evolved from a lower order of primate possibly man in his trip to the forbidden zone he discovered traces of a culture older than recorded time
0: and within that idea it's the reversal of the scopes trial it's that whole idea of the denial of science and the mixture of religion within that science because people think that science and religion are absolutely separate they're separate things when there is that mixture in there and what they say is throughout the film Dr. Zayas says it a lot.
1: Scientific heresy.
0: Like, how could you have a scientific heresy if the majority of people think that science is one thing set in stone when it's a fluid thing where new research is coming up all the time? And that's why you have people thinking about the denial of science and its processes and how information changes over time with COVID-19 and how our governments or things like that are changing their ideas based on what is happening in real time without the most research at their hands. And it's so fascinating to see how the trials reversed because you do have that idea of see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil physically out in front of us by the judges. And that is kind of a social commentary on religion as well as those in power, because if they don't like what they are seeing, hearing, or what people are speaking out against them, they will ignore it.
1: He did not come from another planet, then surely he sprang from our own. Yes, sprang. As an animal psychologist, I have found no physiological defect to explain why humans are mute. Objection, sustain. Their speech organs are adequate. The flaw lies not in anatomy, but in the brain. Objection, Sustained sustain all objections but face the truth yes behold this marvel this living paradox this missing link in an evolutionary chain silence her you go too far i think an indictment is in order yes sir the state charges dr zira and cornelius with contempt of this tribunal malicious mischief and scientific heresy it's so ordered This tribunal will examine all the evidence presented here and in due course render its verdict as to the proposed indictment and as to the disposition of the deviant in question. This hearing is adjourned.
0: You also had a lot of people throughout the pandemic believing in misinformation or unscientific information or expecting queries to be answered immediately. And it's like, why would you expect that when science is a
2: fluid thing, as I said before. It's no coincidence that Dr. Zaius was the head of the church as well as uh, their science division. He was able to dip his hands in both of the pots and really achieve whatever he felt like. You do think that he is trying to help his ape society. I do think that that is really his ultimate goal which is why he is trying to get rid of any sort of new information, because Mm -hmm. he feels like that's best for them as a society to not be involved with humans, because he knows what humans actually are. That's why I said he's complicated, because at
0: the same time as all that, what you were saying is at the end, he lets Taylor go. It's like, listen, he's going to have to confront the reality of what happened and how the apes rose up. He's going to have to understand that, And see his destiny in a way. And to see how he can react to that and what he is going to do after he finds out that truth. Yeah, and then
2: what he does is he gets another four movies. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) So, which, I mean, I don't know if I'll end up watching the other four movies. Mm -hmm. But I definitely will read (laughs) and see what happens. Because there's still so much mystery there in this world. And unfortunately, I looked at the reviews for the other movies and that discouraged me from <laughs> putting those on. This is definitely a movie where I was like, I need to know. I like, I just, I need to know. I watched
0: some of them when I was younger, but now I do want to go back and try to watch these at least for a little bit to see where it goes. And I know where a little bit of them go. Like I think the next one I've seen beneath the Planet of the Apes where I think he finds other humans and they worship an atomic bomb uh, and there's like a whole kind of death cult around the atomic bomb. So it's fascinating to see how he would react to that and kind of getting into that. I think another one of the themes is just because we can do it, should we? There's a lot of scientific experiments that we're doing right now, where an example would be, they decided to plug into two computers that could communicate with each other. And eventually they created their own language that we couldn't decipher. So they had to unplug the machines. That's my kind of thing is like, we have examples of how scientists are testing things that could potentially be dangerous for all of mankind, and we ask ourselves, why are they doing that?
2: <laughs> I, I did not know about those two computers, but that is definitely something that I would say why. <laughs> <laughs> Because it is like they're going to be able to
0: figure things out if they're speaking to each other. When is the mass computer uprising with an Alexa smart home kind of things are going to end up destroying our bank systems or called our now I sound like a conspiracy theorist. But
2: Uh,
0: (laughs) our, our like phones are going to like rebel against us and it's going to be a whole Planet of the Apes thing all over again. But. Technology. And I think it's so fascinating to see that, especially within the ideas of how we protect our governments and how we protect our government's weaponry, whether it be nuclear warfare or cybersecurity, and how within the last couple of years, we've had the instability of a nuclear climate and how we're like getting closer and closer to midnight on the nuclear timescale.
2: Yeah, and that's always a, a scary thing when that rolls up on my Twitter feed, <laughs> <laughs> that they move it up a minute.
0: Yeah, it's it's honestly one of the scariest things. And it's like, could this, you know, I, mean, I think it's uh, Albert Einstein said something in relation to, to nuclear war that the Fourth World War would be fought with sticks and rocks because we pretty much basically destroyed our society with all-out nuclear war. And you have those references to possible nuclear disaster, and I kind of spoiled it by talking about Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Mm -hmm. But the movie has those kind of things, and it makes perfect sense because you had people in the audience just going through the Cuban Missile Crisis. They're in the middle of the Cold War, so it makes perfect sense to include those things.
2: Yeah, and I think even though the experiments that the apes were running were— definitely more primitive than computers speaking with one another or atomic bombs. It really does make you think it's, why do we have to do this? Why did we have to cut out Landon's brain? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why do we have to test the pain threshold of these humans? Mm. It's, what do we have to gain from this other than just flexing our muscles of just, hey, you're in a cage and I'm not. You know, I'm intelligent and and you're not.
0: The thing is with that, like you say that, like, and this is exactly one of those moments that I was talking about earlier where it's set in a fantastical setting, but it is very real. The thing that you just described was the Nazi genetic and euthanization process.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: really. So it's confronting that issue as well, where we're confronting these tests and these horrific and damnable pseudo-scientific ideas where it's not real science and they're talking about terrible, terrible experiments that these evil people did just to see what happened based on their horrific and unscientific ideas about humanity and racial hierarchies. You have that in this film. Taylor creates chaos throughout the whole town because they say that he's going to be gelded. They're using these words... As if he is an animal that's getting its genitals cut off because of whatever reason. Like you said, it primitive. These things are primitive. Right. And yet people are still doing that or people are trying to still do that today where they're trying to mess up with people's genetics. And it's, again, why? What's the point? Some people say, oh, it's better for mankind for us to understand this in order to help people with certain things, which is fine. But there was a couple of years ago where there was a guy in China that said that he can alter DNA and that he he was testing it out with I think he might have been testing it out with people. And there was a big uproar about it because it is what is the threshold of that in a human rights level? When does that go over the line? When does that change who we are as a people, whether it be, again, going to that border of science and religion. When are we going to kind of cross those two and become God in our own way? And that is a very kind of touchy thing. It's like you're going to change someone's DNA if you believe in God. Only
2: God can do that. It's fascinating to see that. Exactly. And I mean, not to say that science and religion go hand in hand. But there is a point where a moral compass has to stop (laughs) Uh, what's going on. Whether that is religiously enforced or not, it's just eventually there is a point where enough is enough. It's just in this case, everything was (laughs) inspired by religion. There was a quote.
1: There is no contradiction between faith and science. True science.
0: That can go both ways because you have that idea of, People saying like, oh, atheism versus Christianity or theism versus Islam or whatever, religion in general, non-believers versus believers. And that's not necessarily true because the Big Bang was a theory backed by the Catholic Church. And to have that idea where people say, oh, no, religion and science don't go together religion and knowledge do go together though. And science is a part of that knowledge and vice versa. And it's just so fascinating to see how people have those ideas of how they're not mixed or how there is a direct line between religion and science when that's often not the case. And I think that's really cool to see how that quote can be seen from different perspectives like because I thought hearing it originally I was like oh that's interesting there's no distinction between faith and science and then you had the idea of there is no distinction between faith and science where you have the idea of they are both mixed together in a whole bundle of different concepts and to have that both together where there is an exact science and an exact religion that all simian creatures believe in and there's no stepping over or around that situation to me that
2: particular quote is really more of a threat from this where it's just as long as i'm in power science is what i say it is and religion is what it has always been or faith in if i'm gonna use the word that he used.
0: That's exactly what I was trying to say. Like, you just made it way more succinct. (laughs) (laughs) Now that we talked about the themes a little bit, how do you think millennials can relate to the characters and themes within Planet of the Apes?
2: For starters, don't be Taylor. (laughs) (laughs) The guy is just a jerk. Strive to be a Cornelius in your life. Cornelius, very hardworking guy, willing to do what's right fairness and trying to work together is really something that's relatable it's just that when he scribbled the words in the uh, dirt dr zayas when he crumbled up the plane it's just he took the coward's way out mm. where he was just like i don't want to work with this guy he scares me and it's just be less scared
0: of people The ideas that are really important and and I want you to kind of expand upon the Cornelius bit because I agree with you. I think more people should be like Cornelius in the way that I was kind of saying before in that he supports his fiance, even though it does clash with his ideas in a way.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. They have a wonderful relationship (laughs) in the film. They work together as a unit. And he
0: sees that this is something that's massively important to her. And he drops his ideas of, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. We can't challenge society. We can't do this. This is going to break the whole world. And he says, no, because this is something important to her. This is something that I can empathize with her. I am learning something new. And while that scares me, I'm still going to allow myself to be open to that and to figure it out within my own way.
2: Exactly. It's just, you have to be open to the idea that you don't have all the right answers. There's discussions that are to be had on things that you believe you are 100% certain in. And it's just, you have to allow other opinions, other ideas to come in. And whether or not you take those, whether or not they're right, whether or not they're wrong, it's just, you have to grow with them.
0: You have to figure out what the hill you're going to die on is. And you have that idea of within our society now, like our younger generation, we hear all the time, oh, millennials are blamed for this. They're blamed for that, blah, 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 blah. But at the same time, you have to, and this is why, you know, to a certain degree, I think, again, Zaius is complicated because he understands that kind of situation. He understands that, all right, fine, your theory can go out. You're still going to get jailed for it, though. I'm going to let this big missing link, quote unquote, as they say, go. Let, let him be free and establish whatever he's going to try to do with his mate, as they say. And you have that idea of him just knowing that something's going to be out there. There's going to be a threat out there. And he's going to try to suppress it as much as he can with the last year protests and reactions to those protests and everything like that we have a, I think our generation anyway, and younger generations have a much better understanding of listening and being more empathetic towards our fellow man in a way. And I'm not saying we're the best generation ever. We have our issues as well. But I think, and especially Gen Z does this really well too, is that you have to be more empathetic. You have to think about the people that you're talking about, you have to think about the ideas that you're talking about, and the ideas that you're putting forward. And like you said, you have to have that equity, you have to have that fairness across the board. And I think that's something that's really admirable about our generation, and the younger generations. And I think, again, we are constantly being bombarded, and pushed down by the mistakes of the past and we are trying to in a way i think as all youthful generations have done try to push back against those things and that's the idea of maybe at one point doctor zeus in his young life rebelled against certain ideas within the ape hierarchy and he understands that rebellious phase and and, and you have that with their nephew Lucius has that streak of rebelliousness, and he is that young greenhorn type of person. And maybe Dr. Zayas was a Lucius of his day and then later learned the truth and was like, all right, now I have to protect this and lie to everybody else. And that's the thing is we have to break that cycle of like, oh, realizing that our ideas are fantastical when no, they really aren't. Like when people say it is what it is. No, it's not. You can change things if you really want to. It's not is what it is. Like that drives me up a wall. Uh, I'm very
2: guilty of saying it is what it is. (laughs) Oh,
0: no. I apologize. Um, How dare you? I think it's fascinating to see that and how within our generation we're trying to stop it is what it is.
2: Really something that was interesting was although Dr. Zaius let Taylor go in the end, he still doesn't believe that what he is doing is wrong. Right. Uh, you touched up on that. He tells Zira and Cornelius that they're going to jail, but he also destroys the cave. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, and it's just. This guy is just set on this. What I believe in is what is right. Right. Um, you know, the complete opposite of a Cornelius character.
0: Right, and I think that's the idea of what older generations are going through now. They believed what they thought was right was right. And now that people are pushing up against those ideas, it scares and challenges all the beliefs that they've had throughout their whole lives. And that change might be too radical for them to comprehend or not comprehend, but it's too much for them, so they resist against it. Now that we've seen Planet of the Apes... Do you recall seeing any references to it in your experiences with other films?
2: I don't believe if I saw any references to it in other films, but I think fairly odd parents did a Planet of the Apes thing before. Oh, really? I do think so. I think they had a uh, TV special where Timmy Turner was trapped in like the TV. And he was going through all these different channels. And there were all these different cameos. Mm -hmm. And I think eventually they get into this planet of the apes world where apes are the overlords, they call them. Right, right. (laughs) And humans are like these cavemen that are unintelligent. He goes to school and his classmates are all these cave humans. But the teachers, the principals, those are all apes. Wow. (laughs) So... That was probably my introduction to Planet of the Apes as a kid.
0: <laughs> Honestly,
2: I did not have that
0: at all as a note. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I did not, no, don't say sorry. That's amazing. Cause that's the whole point of like me asking this question. Is like, oh yeah, like I totally realize it now. Like when I that's so great that you realize that. Because yeah, I have, no. the, the most famous thing that I know of is that the Simpsons parodied it. In an episode called A Fish Called Selma, where they have one of the actors, Troy McClure, I think, who's like the actor or whatever, appeared in such film as starred in a musical version called Stop the Planet of the Apes, I Want to Get Off. And I have that whole kind of thing in my head constantly. I don't know why or where I got it from, but in the thing they say.
1: Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss. Oh, Dr. Seuss. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas, what's wrong with me? I think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? You're all so lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before.
0: And it's always stuck in oh, wow. my head. I don't know why. I totally forgot Dr. Zaius was a thing in Planet of the Apes for years. And it was still stuck in my head. And when I watched it again, I'm like, oh, my God, of course, this is what Dr. Zaius is from. Like, now I remember. But that's so funny that you said that. I'm going to have to look that up now.
2: I'm pretty confident it was a uh, reference of Planet of the Apes. It has to
0: be. Now that we went into those kind of things, here's the last question for everybody. Why do you think millennials and the younger generations should watch Planet
2: of the Apes? It's just a good movie. (laughs) I feel like you're kind of missing out if you don't watch it. I've missed out for now 27 years of my life of not watching it. (laughs) It's just if you like good movies and movies that really make you think, I think Planet of the Apes is a movie for you. I really hope you enjoyed today's discussion
0: I had with Devin about the science fiction classic that is Planet of the Apes. I had a great time talking with him about the issues the film highlights and how we, as the younger generations, can change them. And I just want to say thank you to Devin for coming onto the show. If you enjoyed this episode of Send Millennials and want to watch the film we discussed, listen to more episodes of the podcast, read some film reviews and analyses, please check out my website, dlumoviereview.com. You can also check out ClassicMovieHub.com's blog for my monthly column on what we discussed on the show. Please don't forget to subscribe, and give us a rating as it helps more people find the podcast. Thank you.